What's up, everyone? Welcome back to The Planet Today. It is Friday, September 23rd, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with producer and co-host Nick Janusa. Nick, happy 14th annual United Nations Climate Week. Wow, happy 14th annual, Maddie. That's a big, big week here. Um, hopefully, we get some good results, right? Hopefully, we hear some good stuff. Yeah, I mean... Honestly, I should have looked into this way earlier because uh, I was looking up the events and it was like registrations closed. So I was like, oh, man, this one's in New York. So it's not like we would have had to fly anywhere. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, Missed opportunity on our behalf. Yeah, we'll look into <laughs> it next year. And uh, who knows? Maybe there's some some cool public events. It's like at the United Nations building right in, uh, in midtown Manhattan. So pretty cool stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah, that wouldn't have been too too bad for either of us. Yeah. Well, next year it is. Yeah, sounds like a plan. <laughs> We're also recording on Thursday, so it's September 22nd right now, which is the two-year anniversary of Shore by Fleet Foxes coming out. I'm wearing my Shore shirt right now, one of my favorite <laughs> albums of all time, so uh, just wanted to give a little shout-out to that. Oh, I love Fleet Foxes. Shore's a great album. What is your favorite song on it? Ooh, gotta be Can I Believe You. Oh, okay, good track. I think it- mine is Sunblind. Okay, that's my number two. Okay, if nice. I wasn't going to say, can I believe you, I'd say yeah, Sunblind. So. Yeah, it's Sunblind. Same page. Nice. Also, happy birthday to CJ Bonafati, one of our recurring guest co-hosts here on the planet today. We love you, buddy, and we hope you have an awesome birthday. Yes, happy birthday, CJ. And wow, thank you for reminding me. It's my mom's birthday on Saturday, so happy birthday, mom. Um, and also, happy birthday to my dog, Bear, who has his birthday today, Friday, September 23rd. So happy birthday, bud. All right, if we're doing this, it's also my sister and her husband's 10-year wedding anniversary, so happy anniversary to you guys. All right, so if we're doing this, I have my... No, I'm kidding. No, I don't have, it. I don't have any... I don't have, I don't have anything else. That's it. No more shout-outs. If we missed you, sorry. We'll get you next time. Let's do this show. Yes. Cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. Before we get into today's show, just a quick programming note, we're going to cover the Kigali Amendment to the Kyoto Protocol and Hurricane Fiona hitting Puerto Rico next week. Um, Kigali is excellent news, but the story broke last night, so I just didn't really have time to dive into it yet. And Hurricane Fiona, not so much good news, um, and it's also a developing story, so we want to cover it in full next week. In the meantime, our thoughts go out to everyone impacted, and you know we're just hoping that everyone's able to stay safe here. Yeah, absolutely. Hope everyone's okay and and stay safe. All right, let's get into our quick hits for the week. And the first one comes to you by Eva Corlett of The Guardian, who writes, Rate of sea level rise around New Zealand doubles in past 60 years. Climate change is creating $14 billion worth of infrastructure risk in New Zealand due to higher sea levels, which have risen twice as fast in the past 60 years as they did between 1900 to 1960. Four sites across the island nation were monitored and all showed the sea level rising 
much faster in the last 60 years than previously, including the nation's capital of Wellington. The measuring of these sites took into account any local changes in vertical land movement, which can be caused by geological processes or human activity that causes subsidence. So basically, they factored out anything else this could have been, and this measurement only accounts for sea level rise. Yeah, so researchers say that climate change is the main cause of the sea level rise here, as heat is absorbed by the ocean while greenhouse gas emissions rise year after year. Stats New Zealand added that the expansion of seawater as it warms, combined with increased sea volume caused by the melting of glaciers and ice sheets, all contribute to sea level rise. New Zealand is a relatively narrow island nation when you compare its length to its width, and that makes for a very vast coastline with a lot of houses and a lot of businesses built near the shore. Roughly one in seven residents live in areas prone to flooding, which puts about 675,000 people at risk. An additional 72,000 people live in areas that can anticipate extreme sea level rise. Deep South Challenge, a science collaboration in New Zealand, found that over 10,000 homes in the country's biggest cities would be uninsurable by 2050 due to sea level rise. This has brought the question of managed retreat into play here. So we spoke about managed retreat with my friend Kelly Jacobs on October 22nd, 2021. If you want to learn some more about that, just scroll down in your episodes and you'll find it there. It's basically organizing the movement of people from areas prone to environmental damage, so in this case, prone to sea level rise, um, to areas that will be safer in the future. New Zealand's government has committed to legislation on managed retreat by the end of next year, but the main question is basically going to be who will pay for when sea level rise leaves communities uninhabitable or uninsurable? Yeah, I mean, this is a really scary thought to think that the place that you're living in is not even possible to be inhabitable in 2050 you know 30 years from now or less it's a terrifying thing to think about and you know there's a lot of planning that's going to have to go into where people are going to go when, when it inevitably comes and that's for people in power to to figure out and and hopefully do it in a really responsible and and smart way. Yeah, the main issue for me, again, with like every environmental topic we bring up, it, it comes down to environmental justice. It comes down to equity because here, all right, your house isn't going to be livable in 30, 40, 50 years. What's the solution there? You move. But how do you do that? You have to sell your house. And who's going to buy a house that they're not going to be able to live in in 20 years? So yep. it's not as simple as just saying, oh, well, you know, just move out of your house to somewhere safer. Like, your house is supposed to be a storage of value. Your house is something that is supposed to either appreciate or maintain its value over the lifetime that you have it. So when you go to sell it, you're not losing money. In this case, people will lose money because no one's going to buy a house that you can't live in in two decades. <laughs> it's just not a smart decision. Yeah. So that's where the government has to come into play here. And the fact that they're committed to legislation is really encouraging you just got to hope that there's good financing that helps people who are, are going to need some financial assistance to get out of this position, really. Yeah, and that's a that's a really great point. And like for those people who have been living in their house, you know, putting work into it for you know however many years, expecting that that payoff at the end, and it just never comes. Where else is their money? you know, to, to buy mm -hmm. another house, you know, or to, to move to a different area. So that's definitely a huge issue. Great point. All right, let's move on to our next one. And it is titled, 
EU votes to keep woody biomass as a renewable energy. Ignores climate risk by Justin Catanasso of Manga Bay. I am not going to lie here. I, I really just don't understand this one. Like from a purely semantic level, yeah, I guess wood is renewable because forests should replace in theory. You know, that's the argument here is that woody biomass is renewable because wood is going to continue to grow in forests. Um, but we have centuries of examples now that show you that forests do not replenish when we are over harvesting them year after year after year. So for three years, European forest advocates have lobbied in EU Parliament and led awareness campaigns across the continent to try to get the government to stop spending billions of dollars every year to subsidize wood burning for energy. They wanted to end this practice in part because it's dirtier than coal, but also because it removes trees from forests that should be removing carbon from the atmosphere. Most Europeans were in favor of protecting forests and not classifying woody biomass as a zero emissions renewable energy. But last week, Parliament voted down a proposal to declassify woody biomass as renewable, meaning that emissions from biomass are technically uncounted by European Union countries and are basically treated like they're not even happening. There have been studies over the past several years that are showing that burning wood creates more carbon emissions than coal. And like Nick said, that wood could be in a forest removing carbon from the atmosphere instead. So not only is it dirtier than coal, but it basically doubles down on being harmful by burning the wood that could be serving another ecosystem service here. Forests also support biodiversity that replanted regions often don't because they can be replanted as monocultures or one type of tree in the entire area. More than 500 scientists signed a letter to world leaders last year that said it would take between 50 and 100 years for the forest to grow back what they lose to burning biomass. And we don't have that kind of time to avoid a major climate crisis. One of the major issues with declassifying woody biomass as renewable is that there's a growing demand for biomass, especially as Russia is reducing its natural gas supply to Europe over the EU's support of Ukraine. And the EU is currently the world's leader in consuming wood pellets for energy and for heat, but the United Kingdom, Japan, and South Korea are also seeing growing demand. An estimated 400 million metric tons of carbon emissions are created from burning woody biomass in Europe, which is equal to the total emissions of the countries of Italy and Poland. By classifying woody biomass as a zero emissions energy source, it makes it easier for the European Union to reach its goal of 55% emissions reductions by 2030. The problem is that they're not really hitting this number since woody biomass is not a zero emission energy source. So the, the issue here that we're going to run into is they're going to rely more on this source of energy that's producing carbon emissions, not count those carbon emissions, and then say, wow, look how great we're doing. You know, we, we reduced our emissions by 55%, but, mm -hmm. but they didn't, and they're not going to if this remains the case. Yeah, and... It's shocking to me that wood, burning wood creates more carbon emissions than coal. Like, we always talk about coal being, like, the dirtiest of the dirty. And to think wood is actually worse than that is, to be honest, shocking. Like, had no idea. My guess, and there's a, a journal that this article linked that I hand up, didn't really have a ton of free time this week, so didn't dive into the whole journal. But my guess here, and, and fact check me, tell me if I'm wrong, if you're listening, um, I would guess because wood burns much quicker than coal. 
So you have to burn right. a lot more of it to get the same impact. Retained heat. So right. that's my guess. Hopefully it's right. And I don't have anyone in my DMs being like, Matt, you stupid idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like that happens extremely, extremely rarely on the show, Matt. You're, you got it pretty much dialed up every week. I, I try. Know. I try to prepare for these things. So I, <laughs> when it doesn't work out, I'm always like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> You can only prepare so much, Matt. Yeah. You, know, you can only prepare so much. Life throws things at you fast. What are you going to do? <laughs> All right, next up. Elizabeth Howcroft and Hannah Lang write, Explainer, Ethereum's energy-saving merge upgrade for Reuters. We are going to keep this one brief because if we're being honest, Bitcoin is still the most popular cryptocurrency and cryptocurrencies are still wasteful when it comes to energy. But this article is about Ethereum, the second largest cryptocurrency. Um, it recently underwent a software upgrade last week that transitioned it from proof of work to proof of stake. This means that the amount of energy required to create one coin will decrease by roughly 99.9% according to developers. Developers and some investors are hoping that this will make Ethereum more favorable compared to Bitcoin in both its price and its usability. Some investors are betting the change will be significant for the price of Ether which has gained more than 50% since the end of June compared to Bitcoin's minimal gains. People are arguing over whether this makes Ethereum more or less likely to be attacked by cyber criminals and hackers. But, you know, until that's figured out, we're going to treat this as no different from a cybersecurity approach and just talk about it from an energy approach. So, Nick, what are your thoughts on this one? I mean, obviously, this is definitely better environmentally. Um, I, I mean, I remember we did an episode on this with CJ yeah. and he talked about, you know, the, the crazy carbon emissions of, of Bitcoin mm -hmm. and, and how crazy it was. So this is, it's good that they're switching from proof of work to proof of stake, um, in that there's not going to be this crazy rat race for building up these massive, right. the computers, like the supercomputers and the, the yeah, cooling super centers, cooling centers, exactly. Spend a absolute buttload of money and like ac just for the com super computer to operate mm -hmm. it's ridiculous it's, it's a waste um so this is a good switch i would say uh i still don't like bitcoin i still won't buy it i just i just for the sake of for the sake of doing so i guess at this point for my pride yeah yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm with you you know like for me does this make it more likely that i'm gonna invest in ethereum yeah it makes it more likely am i going to invest in ethereum no not yet I still think yeah. it's wasteful until we have more renewable energy capacity added to the grid. Then I don't love the idea of participating in a system that boosts our overall energy consumption. Yep. This is a huge energy reduction. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like I'm happy to read this. You know, like you said, this is a good thing. I just don't think that crypto is for me personally until our already overwhelming energy consumption, both at home and overseas and other countries you know, we're consuming a lot of energy. So until we lower that consumption and lower our fossil fuel reliance, then mm -hmm. I have a hard time participating in this whole crypto scene. Yeah, I'm in complete agreement with you. I, I, I'm not going to jump in. All right. What we are going to jump into is a quick break. And when we get back, we got two more quick hits for you to send you into the weekend.
brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance, daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. planet today folks and next up climate change is driving a new public health crisis by tina reed of axios this is something that nick and i have definitely talked about on the show before but i really really like the way that axios summed it up and it's a topic that for being honest is going to become more and more important and more and more prevalent so here we go climate change is one of the reasons for increasing emergency room visits due to heat stroke growing rates of asthma in both children and adults and even heart attacks due to injuries and illnesses linked to severe storms. Public health issues are already estimated to cost around $800 billion per year more due to climate change, and this number is going to continue to grow as climate change continues to get worse. And not only will it get more expensive, it'll get harder to solve. Healthcare systems are going to have to make major changes to prepare for the increased health risks. The article talks about how heat stresses a hospital's cooling system and forces health systems to reduce services in some cases because of how quickly emergency rooms can fill up during heat waves. And heat waves are only going to get more common. And heat waves are only going to get hotter. Beth Schenk of Providence Health System told Axios that hospitals in the Pacific Northwest were not built for 116 degrees. But that is the kind of temperature that the Pacific Northwest was seeing last summer. Yeah, and in California during late August, early September, Kaiser Permanente had to power its individual facilities with generators because the state's electrical grid was so overwhelmed by a massive heat wave. The World Health Organization calls climate change the single biggest health risk facing humanity today. It has been linked to increased risk for kidney disease, obesity and diabetes, injuries, the transmission of infectious diseases, some cancers, and poor mental health. And honestly, all of these make sense to me. Like, of course people mm. are going to be less healthy when it's too hot to go outside and exercise. Of course mental health is not going to be as good when climate change is causing people to miss out on things they love or just stress about our future. Of course infectious mm. diseases are going to spread when you have different sorts of insects and animals that are bringing in these different viruses coming into regions where we're not used to them coming into because that's the sort of climate that is supporting them now. So look, if you know someone who doesn't really care about the environment, you know, they're more worried about people, they're more worried about economics, this sort of topic, this sort of discussion is how you get those people on board for fighting climate change. So share this segment, share this article, talk to people about how climate change is going to impact, you know, obesity, childhood asthma, cancer, 
mental health, if you can't connect to them on a wildlife level or a sea level rise level, yeah. here's your in to have those conversations with people. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, some of these people are in my life and it's like the conversations are never easy and it always just ends up like with a straight up argument. But it's important to still have the conversation and to, to have the argument, even though it does mm-hmm. suck sometimes, because at least you open their eyes to it. And instead of just like them blindly thinking something, you know, completely opposite because a random news source says another thing, you know, it's it's important to have the, the dialogue about climate change and that it affects people. It's not affecting just our world. It's affecting us the people who live on this planet and that's what climate change is all about. Yeah. It's the, it's the balance with those uncomfortable conversations where like you don't need to be right every single time you open your mouth. Sometimes it's all right to let people just have their moments, but this isn't one of those topics. Like this is something where if you are hosting this show like me and Nick, or if you're listening to the show, you are probably more informed about climate change than the average person. Have those tough conversations, yeah. and if you're not sure where to start, again, like start with people, start with the health system, start with the economics of you know this is going to cost like billions of dollars more. We're already spending 800 billion dollars across the world more because of climate change. That number is going to keep going up. So how do we how do we fix that by investing in climate change mitigation and lowering the risk, lowering the financial impact of something that is going to be a big factor for the next 20, 30, 40 years, yep. at least. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like I always say on the show, do you not care about your own kids and their kids yep. and their kids? It's just the same thing. Like you have, to, you have to care. The article gets into equity and how that's important when fighting climate change related changes to healthcare systems. And that includes older people or immunocompromised people who are more vulnerable to the impacts of higher temperatures and poor air quality. So again, you, you don't know someone who cares about the environment. Maybe they care about children, immunocompromised people, older people. Mm-hmm. There's there's an avenue here to connect with people who you might not be able to connect with otherwise. So go find it. Yeah, agreed. Okay, our last quick hit of the week is by Richard Luscombe of The Guardian. And he writes, sighting of new gray wolf family raises hopes of resurgence in Oregon. Gray wolves are back, baby. Two adults and two (laughs) cubs were spotted in the Cascade Mountains after federal protections were restored for gray wolves earlier this year. This new family has given hope to advocates that the endangered species might be recovering in the state. The family was spotted on a trail camera in August. Officials designated the Warm Springs Reservation where they were spotted as a new area of known wolf activity. They're now known as the Warm Springs Pack and are the third pack in the Northern Cascades. Wolves are known to move around to different areas, but they do like to stick around near a central location once they find a spot they like. Decades of hunting had almost brought the species to extinction with only 14 gray wolves left in the wild in 2009. By the end of last year, Oregon had around 175 wolves across 35 different packs thanks to protections from the Endangered Species Act, which recognized the gray wolf in 1974. So that's an increase of 161 wolves in just 12 years. Wow. Wolf numbers have been growing slowly over the past year due to the loss of several breeding adult wolves. But the restoration of federal protections from hunting should lead to wolf numbers continuing to grow. 
yeah, anytime there's a serious risk to a species and you can ban that risk, it's going to help, or at <laughs> least it should help. So Amarok Weiss, a senior wolf advocate at the Center for Biological Diversity, said that illegal wolf killing is rampant in Oregon. So these animals need every single possible safeguard. With those protections restored last year, hopefully it leads to more of a population increase, especially as cubs grow and become breeding adults. The Associated Press reported a population in the western Great Lakes region has grown to about 4,400 wolves in Michigan, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. More than 2,000 wolves occupy six states in the northern Rockies and Pacific Northwest. Yeah, this is great news. I mean, anytime you have an apex predator come back and start to stabilize the environment around it, it's going to be good news. So, you know, wolves are something that hunts plenty of animals nearby and keeps those populations in check. So, you know, out on the East Coast here, we have a big deer problem. If we had more wolves here, you know, maybe we wouldn't have as many deer. And and I know that there's hunters out there that are like, yeah, but we like how many deer there are because it gives us something to do. Fair, fair, fair. But, (laughs) you know, if there was a little bit less because we had more wolves, then maybe there's less uh, car accidents from deer just jetting out into the streets yeah yeah that has gone rampant over the past you know 10 15 years i feel like um but yeah this is definitely great news and to the people who do hunt deer don't worry there'll still be plenty of deer yeah you're good over here there's there's a lot yeah um i saw a joke on twitter it wasn't about gray wolves it was actually just something i stumbled upon while i was doom scrolling um, it was like, I love how one of the, the solutions to keeping deer populations in check is to just release wolves. We should apply that to everything. <laughs> Problem in a school, release the wolves. Problem at home, release the wolves. Problem in Congress, release the wolves. It's like, who, who is going to act up when there's wolves running around? I was like, yeah, it's a good point. It's a great point. It's it keeps everyone on a level playing field, which is what we need in this country. Yeah, just the, the enforcer of <laughs> the wolves. <laughs> That's incredible. All right. That will do it for today's episode of TPT. On Monday, I'm gonna be back for a fun feature story and a little solo episode for the people. Yeah, so Matt is gonna cover the news that Patagonia's owner is donating the company. To fighting climate change until then please go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can follow our socials at planet today pod send us an email at planet today pod at gmail.com make sure to follow me on twitter at matt norton and please 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 turn on notifications so you don't miss an episode whenever we drop one nick chanusa produces our show and makes all the music you hear throughout nick where can people bump your tunes all weekend long you can hear more from me at soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out. Y'all. Our logo was made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here on Monday. Peace. Peace.